You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. This week, Pastor Aaron shares a message on building your family. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom in the house, will you just stand real quick? Will you stand? Can we just honor them? I think it goes without saying that we would not be here if it weren't for you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I was going to say Happy Mother's Day to my mom and my wife, but they are both missing in action. So forget about it. <laughs> but uh, you tell them, tell them I said that too. <laughs> Leaving when their son or husband's preaching. Um, I, I, I'm excited for today because I feel like uh, in honor of Mother's Day, I felt like the Lord gave me a message that is perfect for today. And it has to do with family and relationships. And uh, I know that uh, looking out in this crowd, there is a very diverse group. And so I'm going to ask for your grace this morning that I know many of you might be thinking, I've been a parent longer than you've been alive, son. And I've been married longer than you've uh, been walking. Um, many of you have had longer experiences when it comes to relationships and family. Uh, but today, I'm not going to speak to you when it comes from my experiences. I'm going to speak to you for what the Bible says. How many of you are thankful that we can look at what the Word says to know how to raise a family? We can look at what the Word says on how to parent, on how to be in, in a marriage, on how to have friends and relationships. And uh, there she is. Will you all just tell my wife, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And my mom's still not here, so who cares? Um, so, but if you're single today, uh, there's hope for you. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're divorced today, if, you, if you're widowed today, you can still listen because we're all part of one big family. Uh, how many people know that the Lord's Prayer starts with this? Our Father who art in heaven, which means he's our Father, which means you and I are part of a family. We are brothers and sisters. And how many people are thankful that we serve a good father, that he adopted us into our families? Anybody here who can praise the Lord a little bit and say, thank you, God, that you're good. Thank you that you brought me in. You adopted me in when I didn't deserve it, when I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything that could have brought me in or take me into that family. He just accepted me in by his blood. That you and I, when we accept Jesus into our life, that we become a son or a daughter of the king. We are grafted into the family of Christ. And today we're going we're gonna to investigate what scripture looks like about how to build family, how to build relationship. And, and I know for myself that in order for me to have this relationship right, it first starts with this relationship. That the foundation of every relationship in your life, if this is not right, if this relationship is not right, it'll be shaking. That the first step to being a better parent is to grow in your relationship with the Lord. The first step to be a better spouse is to grow in your relationship with the Lord. The first step to gain more friends, to grow in, in, in relationship with other people, is to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Without that foundation, the structure and, 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 the, and the confines of your relationships will crumble or will fall the moment something comes against them. And this is how I want you to view relationships today, to view family, is that it is a building. It is a structure. So turn to your neighbor with me and give him my message title. Say, I'm building my family. 
Come on, say it like a preacher. Say, I'm building my family. I'm building my family. I don't want a shaky wall. I don't want a cracked foundation. I don't want a leaky roof. I want a nice lawn on my foundation, or on my, in my house. I want a nice uh, open floor plan. I would love if Chip and Joanna Gaines could just build my spiritual relational house with all of you. I would love to have a, a, a man with a pool in the backyard my, and like hire people to take care of my lawn. Like I would love a very, very sturdy house because when the storms of life come against my family or against my marriage or against my kids, I want to have a foundation. I want to have walls that are strong. So you can't knock me down. You can't push me over. You may gossip. I may get jealous. Other things may come against me, but my house is strong. So you aren't moving me. You are moving me. And in order for us to build a strong and sturdy house, a strong and sturdy structure for relationships, we've got to have the right tools. I can remember my dad sat me down when I was mid-teenage years and says, son, I want to teach you how to get a young lady to like you. Now, you better believe I never listened to him before then, but that moment, I was all ears. I was like, you have my attention. So all you single people, all you single guys, take notes. He said, this is how you get a girl to like you. Ask her questions. Listen, look at her in the eye, and remember. He's like, if you do that, you will get every girl running after you because they will simply enjoy the fact that you're interested in them. And it worked. It worked. And it was a tool that I used to grow in relationship with my wife that I still use today to grow in my marriage with my wife. If you don't have the right tools, you won't be able to develop and build the structure of family or your relationships. A couple of years ago, uh, we were living in a different house and my wife was on the devil's app, which is Pinterest. It's the app that the devil created for all males to like get frustrated with their wife's dreams and DIY projects. And uh, she looks at me, she finds this picture of uh, these stump end tables y'all know what I'm talking about like you take these stumps you you get them put you put the uh, hairpin uh legs on them and and they're cool and she's like babe I want you to make these so being a good husband I'm like absolutely now this is probably the first project I'd ever done as a husband and it's the last now uh but so I we go and we get uh stumps from some friend's house um, and uh, we bring them home in our minivan, and uh, we get them in our garage. It wasn't the Prius. It was the minivan, and uh, we get them in our garage, and so you got to let them dry for a while, and then the next step is you got to get the bark off, so I'm getting the bark off, just feeling, feeling good. Like, I'm like, I, I'm a man, and then it comes time to start sanding, and so I go, I get the sandpaper, and I start using my hand to sand this stump, and I'm sanding this stump and I'm realizing I'm going to be 80 years old by the time this stump is done being sanded. I had three stumps to sand. So I learned that there's a thing called an electric sander. And so we go get the right tool for the job and I begin sanding. And I'm out there for hours in the garage sanding those stumps. And my wife comes into the garage and she says, babe, there is three inches of dust on everything in the garage. 
and I come out of the fog and there is dust on all of our shoes, on our sleeping bags, anything that was in that garage is covered. We moved like two years later and we found remnants of the dust years later. See, it's not just about finding the right tool, like, right, using your hands versus using the power tool. It's also knowing the environment to use it within. How do I use the tool? Where should I use the tool? With whom should I use the tool with? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at some tools that we need in our lives on how to develop family and how to develop relationships how to use tools in your marriage, how to use tools in your parenting, because I think oftentimes what we do is we think the structure is gonna build itself. The Bible says train up your child. Oftentimes we want our child to train themselves, like they'll just learn how to talk. No, they won't. They will learn how to talk with the rod. They will learn how to talk with correction. They will learn how to talk with discipline. They will learn how to talk by you talking the right way, by you setting the example, but by you training them. See, I think oftentimes we think that a structure builds itself, but you're the builder of your relationships. You're the builder of your family. You're the builder, not your spouse. You're the builder, not your kids. You're the builder, not somebody else. You're the builder. Don't wait for your wife to help your marriage grow. Don't wait for your kids to become better kids, and that's what will make you a better parent. You're the builder. So today, my preaching game is going to another level. Today marks the first day that I'm preaching with props. I just want you to know, there will probably be more salvations today because of my prop game. I feel like if I was a preacher in training before, I have graduated today. Um, so get ready. What comes after today is going to be totally different. So, babe, can you hand me my, my, my box? It's my toolbox. I, I kind of carry this around on a daily basis just to feel better about myself. I just walk through our kitchen carrying a toolbox. Hey, kids, I'm a man. You want to know what a man looks like? This is a man. It's all about looking the part. Doesn't mean you know how to use what's in the box, but I will look good carrying this box. <laughs> so... I look, thank you, I look good. So the first tool is this, is I, I wanna show you, we, we use this, and you're all like, that should not be in your toolbox. <laughs> work with me, work with me here. It's in my toolbox, you do whatever you do in yours, I'll do what I do in mine. <laughs> this is going sideways, Never, no props ever again. Oh, yeah, I told Jonathan, I said, I was considering two different messages, but I chose the one with the props. If it doesn't go well, we'll just switch to the other one for second service. <laughs> Matthew 6, 31 says this. Let's bring it back to the word. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? My son says this every morning. I don't care about what I wear. He just runs around in his underwear. For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me say this real quick. Don't worry about what you're going to get. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about how much money you're going to make. Don't worry about this or that. Worry about one thing. Worry about seeking him first. Oftentimes, I get asked even myself, Aaron, how do I create balance in my life? 
There is no such word in the Bible. This is balance. Seek first. Seek first. If you seek him first, then he will add all these things to you. Seek him first. Well, what about, if I seek him first, then what about, no, no, no. Seek him first. He knows what you need, but seek him first. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Some of you needed to hear this. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Hallelujah. I don't have time for that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Chapter 7, verse 1. So do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Man, I feel like sometimes I try to like soften the blow in my message. I just need to take a page out of Jesus. Like, bro, you're a hypocrite. Telling you, my game is just going up another level. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, one of the tools we unknowingly bring into family or in relationships is a magnifying glass. You know, it's, it's really hard to see the speck in someone's eye when I'm standing up here on stage. It's really, really hard. I can't even barely even see you. But if I come down, if I come down and I get nice and close, I can see the eye boogers. <laughs> you didn't sleep very long last night. I can see some specks. I can see your eye color. I, I actually don't even know what eye color that is. It's greenish, beautiful, beautiful greenish brown. <laughs> and see, this, this is what we do. Like when we first meet somebody, we're, at, we're kind of at a distance from them. And all we notice is the good. Right from back here, boy, you're fine. You look, you're looking good. Man, your outfit, it's on point. Right? You meet the guy of your dreams, and from a distance, like, everything's perfect. Man, he's just so chill. He's just so relaxed. Man, he's just so easygoing. You want to know what those adjectives are three years into marriage? It's called laziness. Right? But when you first meet, he's just so chill. I just have such a great time just relaxing. Right, but then you spend a little bit of time and you're like, oh, I see the speck now. But distance has a way of making all the good things pop away. But the moment you get close, you notice the problems. We do this in seasons as well. Right, we're in a season. I'm just lonely. I'm, it's just a lonely scene. No one wants to talk to me. I'm just, like, and this is not just a single thing, but it's a married problem. Like when you first meet, when you're at the altar, you're like, Baby, if it was just you and me and no other humans on this earth, I would be good for the rest of my life. All I want is just me and you. Let's just go away for eternity. And in three years into marriage, you're like, I don't have any friends. All we do is just spend time together. I would just want more people in my life. Right? Because proximity, we get close, and all of a sudden we notice the flaws. And we do this in, in our marriage. Ah, oh, she, she doesn't cook as good as she should. She doesn't look like I thought she would look like. You know, I thought he'd make more money. Than he really does. I thought he would actually like have more fun with me. And we start bringing to the surface all the things we don't like, all the things that are negative, all the things that frustrate us. And we're really, really good about when we get close to somebody noticing all the flaws in their life. But be careful. Because you just might have a log in your own. You just might have a speck in your own eye. And oftentimes we do this in different parts of life as we magnify what we're going through. We're magnifying the bill that comes in. 
unexpectedly. We're magnifying the sickness or the illness. We're magnifying the fear or the worry or the stress. But here's the good news. is as big as I could try to magnify any problem. It will pale in comparison to the size and the greatness of who Jesus is. That even though a problem may appear to be larger than it really is, it pales in comparison to the power of Jesus. And even though I try to magnify something, it's still small. It looks big to me, but it's still small. Oh, my husband drives me crazy. Really, what does he do? He does this thing. It's so annoying. All he does is he just chews his food super loud. Yeah, it's no big deal. Get over it. But we magnify the problems. We magnify the issues. We do with our kids. I just wish my kid was this. I just wish my kid was that. And we start magnifying issues. We do this with each other. Tash does it to me all the time. (laughs) Just kidding. I thought of many ways to dig myself out of that hole. The best way would say I was just kidding. Psalms 139 says this. See, this, this is how, this is what we're supposed to use the tool for. We use this tool in our relationships to magnify each other's deficiencies. We use this tool to magnify the problems in life. We use this tool to magnify what we're going through and it stresses us out, it worries us. We use this tool to look at, I'm still single, I'm not married yet, or my kids aren't developed like I thought they would or they aren't as good or our marriage isn't as good as I thought it would be or no one wants to be, we magnify these problems. But this magnifying glass is used for two things. The first thing is this, it's to magnify the greatness of God, but it's used to put right on yourself. In Psalms 139, it says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You want to know what you need to be magnifying in your life? Your own problems. I do this about once a year, twice a year with my wife because I can't take anymore. Is I'll go to her and I'll say, babe, is there, is there some stuff that I could improve on as a husband? Is there stuff I could do better as a father? Because I know for myself, it's hard to be introspective. I can get into a routine of doing things and think I got it all figured out and the way I'm doing it is perfect. But I need people around me to keep me sharp, to keep me accountable. So I'm like, let's put that magnifying glass right on me. What could I do better? I don't want to shine this on anybody else. Let it just go on me. Help me realize what I'm doing wrong. Help me realize how I can improve. You want to know the problem in your relationship? Probably you. Let me say that again. You want to know the problem in your relationship? It's probably you. It's probably you. You know who should change first? You. If that's all you got all day today, that was the best part of the message. You're probably the problem. Stop blaming somebody else. Let's be done with that tool. That makes me feel insecure. The next one is this. Tape measure. Now, this belongs in the toolbox. Hey. Tape measure. In my master bath uh, at our house, we have a thing on the wall that uh, we measure our kids by. And every so often, we, we're measuring the height of our kids. And, you know, Israel, he's seven. He'll come and he'll lean next to the wall. And, you know, he's like two, what? Every week, yeah. And it's like he's grown like a millimeter. But we're like, dudes, you're bigger. Like we celebrate the growth. Because to him, he doesn't care how much it is. It's just that he's growing. And we, we unknowingly, we take a measuring tool of whatever kind into a relationship. 
And what we'd use it for is we use it to compare. We use it to look at our life and we're like, I thought I'd, I'd be at a different spot than I am now. I thought my family would look a little differently than it did by now. I look at that family over there, man, they got it all together. They got it going on. They got the car, the house. They look like they're more in love. Look at my kids. Like, I thought my kids would be smarter. I thought my kids would be more successful. I thought my wife would look prettier. I thought my husband would make more money. Like, y'all laughing like, oh, I'll never say that. Y'all, y'all thinking it. And we start comparing who we're with, our friends, our spouses, our kids with others. Based upon expectations that we've created or that others have created for us. All the while, what we're doing is we're constructing a house. We're constructing a building for our family. We're, we're building our relationships all to do one thing, to impress other people, to keep up with their expectations, to look a certain way. And all what happens is we build a relationship that we don't even like because we didn't make it the way we wanted it. We made it the way somebody else thought we should make it. We tried to do things to impress the person, not because we loved them, not because we cared about them, it was so that we would feel good about ourselves. And this is perpetuated by this social media type of culture where it's all about looking the way, certain way, right? Posting the right picture, um, making sure it, it appears everything's in order. All the while we're constructing something that we don't even like. And then you, you're th 20, 30 years into marriage and you're like, I don't even feel like we enjoy being around each other anymore. Right, because the whole time it was all about yourself creating something that you wanted, creating something that you thought other people wanted, never about the person you were in a relationship with. In Galatians 6, 4 through 5, it says this, examine, or each of you must examine your own actions. Then you can be proud of your own accomplishments without comparing yourself to others. Assume your own responsibility. Take responsibility. You want to know who you should be comparing yourself to? Jesus. Good luck. Don't compare yourself to another couple. Don't compare your kids to other kids. Don't compare yourself to the more successful person, right? And then you can be on the flip side. Maybe you're the successful one and you're comparing yourself to other people who aren't successful. You know what that will do? That will cause you to slow down and not reach your absolute best. Because I'm way ahead. I don't got to worry about anything. I, I'm so much better than everybody. That comparing game will destroy you because then this is what it creates. The moment something good happens to somebody else, you can't even celebrate it because it makes you feel insecure. Somebody else gets the promotion. Somebody else gets the, the good vacation. And it just makes you jealous and frustrated and envious because why didn't I get to go on that? And why can't we do that? And their marriage looks so good, but my marriage is frustrating and terrible. And my husband, and my wife, and my kids and drive it crazy. And all I want to do is just go on a vacation and they got to go and I didn't get, ah. I've never thought that before. And we're comparing and we're comparing and we're jealous and get envious. All the while we're holding our spouse to some standard that we deem is appropriate based upon what somebody else is doing and what they look like and how they cook on how they work on how they interact on how they make me feel. It's all about me, not about them. It's me. You want to know what this is supposed to be used for? To gauge your growth. Because you've been struggling with the same sin pattern for three years and you're getting frustrated at your wife for not growing all the while. You ain't going nowhere. In fact, you're going backwards. This is meant to actually gauge your growth because if you aren't growing, you're dying. 
Look at all nature. Look at a person's life. Look at, look at their bones, their, their body. If you aren't growing, you're dying. You spiritually are the same way. This is meant to gauge your growth so that you can look at yourself and say, have I moved forward? Have I actually made a difference? Have I, have I changed or am I struggling with the same things I was struggling with six months ago, two years ago, 10 years ago? Does my marriage look the same way it did back then? What are we doing to improve it? What are we doing to grow it? This is used to gauge your growth. Notice part of these tools are all about changing from looking at other people and it's starting to look at yourself. I, I haven't told anybody about Jesus in three years. Well, you should probably grow. I haven't, I haven't seen anything change in my love for the word. You should probably grow. It's a good indicator. Gauge your life. Gauge your spiritual, gauge how you're raising your children. Am I growing? Am I learning? It takes effort and time to grow and to learn. You have to actually make a conscious effort to do it. It won't happen naturally. Next tool, I asked for a nail. I don't even know what you described this as. Small spear. <laughs> oh, so good. This may be the last time for props, guys. I'm sorry. It's a stake. Ephesians 5, 25 through 23. Every guy's favorite verse in the Bible. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they fed or they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, hallelujah, and be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. There is a profound, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. We think that this nail is to build the walls. This nail it's for your hand. It's for you. Not for the walls, it's for you. The Bible says to take up your cross daily. It is not to carry it. A lot of people think, man, my cross is just heavy. I'm carrying my cross today. No, uh, that's the problem. Stop carrying it, put it in the ground, and die on it. This nail is for you. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. He gave himself for the church. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was abused. He was ridiculed. He was neglected. He was ostracized and he was crucified for the church. Husbands, you're to die for your family. You're to lay your life down for your kids. I was speaking to a guy the other day. Um, he's about 45, still working, and he was telling me about his love for golf. And he was telling me about how he golfs like three or four days a week, how he uh, has this amazing membership at a country club. He's a scratch golfer, and he, he makes this statement. He's like, my wife knows to never ask me to give up my golf game because of how much I love it. 
And I hear it, and I'm just like, oh, I just feel so, my heart breaks for that family. Because what ends up happening is we take hobbies, we take what we need, what we want, and we place them ahead of our families, place them ahead of our spouse. Maybe it's golf, maybe it's hunting, maybe it's fishing, maybe it's sports, maybe it's a different sort of hobby. But what we do is we, we need me time. We need, I need to meet my needs. You don't get it. I've worked eight hours today, 10 hours. I'm tired. I just want to go lay down on the couch, turn the TV on, pull my phone out. Babe, I'm hungry. Can you bring me some food? You need to turn the TV off, put the phone down, get off the couch, and be present in your family's life. When you walked down that aisle, when your kids were born, you took the responsibility to say, I will lay my life down for my family. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I want. It's about serving and loving my family. Your marriage will not work if you don't put this stake in your hand. If you care more, I got real quiet in here. If you care more about your hobby than your marriage, you're in trouble. Oh, but I want my marriage to work out. I, I, I want my kids to be great kids. Great, then are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to give up your hobby? If the answer is I don't know or not quite ready, then they, you probably don't care that much. If you can't lay your fishing on the altar, time to drive the stake into your hand. If you can't turn the TV off when you get home, it's time to drive the stake into your hand. It's time to die. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you can get. When I come home from work, let me give you a, a synopsis of my life. Many of you know we have a pastoral team here, so I work outside of here. I have an investment firm as well. And so my life looks like this. I wake up. I spend about two hours with the Lord. Then I go to work, my day job. And then I come home. And when I come home, I got about two or three hours, and it's all dad time. I'm spending time with my kids. I'm, I'm trying to play with them. I'm on my hands and my knees. I'm getting dirty. Yeah, you heard me right. I'm getting dirty. And then, and then I'm getting dirty in the evening. No, and then uh, I'm, um, I got church stuff. And then I got church meetings that start about 6 o'clock. I got no me time. It's not about me. I didn't sign up to be a part of this family so I could get something from it. I signed up so I could give. And if this stake, you use it just to build walls and you don't ever put it in your hand, your marriage will suffer. Your children will suffer. And you'll look back 10 years from now and think, ah, oh, what's wrong with my marriage? Why is it having problems? Why aren't my kids better? It's because you cared more about what you needed, what you wanted, rather than them. I felt really good to say. Y'all were cheering for the first few. Let's go to the last one. Earmuffs. When you have earmuffs, <laughs> see, when life gets really bad, what you do is you don't quite know what to do. And so what you do is you put on some earmuffs to try to like shut everybody out because you think if nobody else knows what's going on, like if I don't tell them, it's just going to all get better. 
And so I think if I could just put these on and like hibernate and isolate myself, all my problems will figure themselves out. But what we don't realize is the only way that's actually going to get better, the only way you're actually going to know what to do, the only way you get wisdom in your life, the only way you can get people around you to keep you accountable is if you take these off and you actually express your problems to other people. But what we do is we isolate ourselves. We put these on. Our life's tough. My wife's driving me crazy. My kids are, are nuts. I just, I just need to get away. I don't want to ask for help. So I'm just going to put the earmuffs on and zone. I'm just going to put the earmuffs on and think it's all going to get better. The reality is that it will probably not improve on your own. It may, but most likely it won't. And so we try to put these earmuffs on and think, I'm going to try to fool people, make them think we're good. Like if, surely if I don't say anything, they're going to think my life's perfect. Like my kids are doing great. Like I'll, I just won't tell them that I want to throw them into the garage and lock the door half the time. Or I don't, you know, my marriage is struggling, but if, sure if I don't tell anybody about it, we're going to be good. So we just put the earmuffs on. Or something's going on in your marriage, and what you should do is talk about it with your spouse. But what you do is, Put these on, and you're like, if I don't tell my wife that I'm actually really struggling with something, if I don't tell my, my wife that, you know, something's wrong or something's changing in me, then she's going to think I'm good. The reality is your wife knows you got tons of problems. What's one more? And all the while, we think if we can just isolate ourselves, we're going to be great. This is what these are for. These are for when God asks you to die to yourself. When God asks you to put the nail in your hand, to give up your hobby, to quit this thing or that thing, to run after him. These are to go on at that point. And just like Abraham, when he was taking his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice his son, and we know that there was a, there was a ram up there, but Abraham didn't know that. And so Abraham tells his two servants, stay here because he knew if his servants went with him up to the altar to sacrifice his son, his servants would have talked him out of it. They would have seen him try to put his son Isaac on the altar and been like, Moses, this isn't you. Don't, don't do this. No, no father would do this. Surely something's gotten into you. It's the son. I need it. Don't, don't do this. His, his servants would have talked him out. See, sometimes when God asks you to do something, that's when you put these on because you can't get talked out of it that way. You don't want anybody saying, oh, uh, Aaron, this is crazy. This is nuts. No one would do this. God would never ask you to do this. That's the time to put these on. Every single one of you needs help in your marriage. I need help in my marriage. Every single one of you that is a parent needs help in parenting. None of you are perfect. Every single one of you needs help in your relationship with the Lord. Every single one of you. doesn't matter whether you've been saved for 50 years. Every single one of you needs help. And you need to ask for help. You need to take the earmuffs off and you need to begin to ask for help. You need to begin to ask for people to come around you and to help you. I don't have time, but one of the other tools was this. It was a security system. You need to lock up your family so that nothing can get in to separate that. Because what oftentimes happens is you're in that family unit. You're doing life. You get a little lax on security. And all of a sudden you're a guy and you're at work. 
and the new receptionist gets hired, and you start chatting it up without even knowing it, all of a sudden feelings begin to be created. Oh, what happens is you get doing life and you get busy and you get lazy with your kids and all of a sudden the devil can come right in and he can begin to shipwreck your kid's life and you're ignorant of the whole thing because you're not even present. That you've got to be so locked and loaded on that security system of your house that nothing is going to come in and affect my marriage. Nothing is going to come in and affect my kids. Pornography, I don't got time for that. And if I got it, I'm going to ask for help to get it out. If there's a relationship that comes into play into my marriage that's affecting my marriage, I got to get it out. I remember there was a time when we first got married and I had a friend and uh, I would text her just different things about life or whatever. And my wife came to me and she's like, babe, I'm not cool with that. Can you please stop texting her? And immediately stopped because I don't want anything to come in. I want to keep that security system locked down. When it comes to my kid's life, Anything that's going to be played on that TV, I'm going to know about it. There's nothing played on my TV that I don't know. There's nothing they play on their iPads that I haven't first played. Not one thing. My security system is locked down. That's controlling. No, that's called being a dad, being a father. Get your security system locked down on your house because the devil is crafty. He's looking for any window that's not locked up. He's looking for any door that's happened to be left open. He's looking for any opportunity he can get in to just wreck your family, to knock down, knock down a wall, to put a crack in your foundation. You've got to have that thing locked down. We need to be people that build strong, sturdy structures in our relationships. So when the devil comes, when life comes, and he tries to knock it down, when, when gossip comes in a friendship, hey, did you hear what somebody said about you? It's okay. We've got a strong foundation, baby. We've got a firm structure. They may have said that. That's okay. I still love them. It's not going to affect me. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to move on. Because my structure is too important. I've spent too much time building this thing. I'm not going to knock it down over one word. I'm not going to knock it down over an issue over here or over there. This building's going to stand the test of time. And I want your marriages to stand the test of time. I want your kids to stand the test of time. I want your relationships to stand the test of time so you can look back and people say, man, how, how did you stay married for 50 years? Well, let me show you the walls I built up. Let me show you the, the rooms that I built. Let me show you my security system. Let me show you all the deaths, the backyard, all that blood you see, that's mine from dying every day. Waking up, when I wake up, I spend more time praying for my family than I do the church. I view it as my number one priority in my life is my family. I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the best husband I can be. And if I'm great at those things, I'll be a great pastor. You'll be a great, great employee. You'll be a great business owner. You'll be a great whatever you do. Why don't you stand with me? I, I, want, I want to give an opportunity real quick just to hearken back. Wow, is that even a word anymore? Hearken back. King James Version. To hearken back to something I said earlier. I want to give a moment. If you're a guy, I want to do this specifically for guys. If you're a guy in this room and you have allowed a hobby or something in your life to become more important than your family, you've allowed it to become more important than your kids, more important than your marriage and you need to give it up I want you to come up right now and I want you to 
I want you to lay it at the altar. Fishing, hunting, sports, work, could be making money. Maybe it's, I want to be successful. If you, want, if you need to lay something at the altar for the sake of your family, I want you to come up. I'm really proud of you guys. Come on. Anybody else? Don't wait. Your family, your kids deserve everything you have. Is it worth keeping your hobby so you feel good about yourself, so you get your time away? Or are your kids more important? Is your wife more important? If we can have some of our guy elders, pastors just come up. And I just want to give you guys a moment because what's going to happen is it's like there's this painful process. I've shared this before, but there was a time where uh, God asked me to lay my business on the altar. And it was really incredibly painful because that became my identity. And so some of you guys, you're going to, that pain, like I sympathize because I remember it very well. That pain of saying, I'm actually willing to give it up. And you're going to begin to visualize your life without it. You may never go fishing again. You may never go hunting for the rest of the year. You may have to change your career. But I care more about building a strong, firm structure of a family. I care more about my kids than about my job, than about my hobby, than about myself. So, Father, I ask that each four of these guys that came forward, that you would, you would surgically go into their hearts and remove their identity that they find in these hobbies, they find in making money or being successful. God, surgically remove, Father, these, these uh, almost like they're these, these holds on their heart where if they don't have it, they don't know who they are that they care more about these things than they do their family, their spouses, their children, or even you. God, I ask that you break them down. Break them down. Break them down. And God, don't even give them the, the, the morphine. Let them feel the pain. Lord, just as you made me feel the pain, because it reminds me. I remember it. Help them remember it. So two months from now, two years from now, they remember the moment they actually gave it up for you. You guys just keep praying for them. If you're a mom, just raise your hand real quick. If your hand is not being raised, will you just go put a hand on somebody next to you? So go find a mom, put your hand on them. I just want to pray over the moms real quick. Moms, this message was for you this morning. Even though it wasn't directed at you, I think it might have helped you. And I just want to pray that you would be strengthened. That there would be a resiliency. I know oftentimes moms give and they never get, they never receive. And I just want to ask that God will come in and strengthen you and impart into you. Father, we ask that every mom, every mother would just be filled with the strength and the power of God. That they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing. They wouldn't get tired. They wouldn't get frustrated. They wouldn't lose focus. They would stay sharp. They would stay strong. 
God, I ask that you would continue just to um, even b- blow a fresh wind upon, uh, on, the, on their minds for wisdom and creativity of how to lead a family or how to parent children, how to, how to love their husband, how to, how to mentor other, other moms, how to, how to continue to give love away. God, I ask that you would just surround them with arms of love. Father, for those who are feeling weak, for those who are feeling dry, for those who are feeling desperate just to feel you, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, embrace them right now. All you single moms, God, I just ask, God, that you would just fill them with strength. Every mom who's looked at things that have happened to your kids and you blamed yourself, we just remove that burden from you. Guilt that you carry, shame that you carry, shame that you carry from past relationships that you still hold today, we remove that in Jesus' name. Let the blood of Jesus wash over you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.